He says, if the king believes that he can set aside a law made by the Virginia legislature, then he is now a tyrant. You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to that podcast in the sky, And If Love Remains, and this is your sometimes virtuous, occasionally vile, always virile host, Mike Levitt. Welcome to And If Love Remains. We have with us the teacher of liberty, again, great friend of the program, love having him on anytime. He is always welcome. Joe Wolverton, welcome back. Thank you, sir. It's an honor to serve. <laughs> well, it's it's an honor to have you. It's it's wonderful, and and um, you know we're we're coming up on some Independence uh, Day festivities for many, and yes. and um, I wanted to have you on um, to talk about who. While everybody knows his name and everybody knows a few things, you know, maybe a few words that he said. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, maybe one of the most underrated founding fathers um, that we have, and that that is Patrick Henry. Um, I came across your article. Uh, it's a great article. We'll, we'll link it in the description that you wrote a few years ago um, for the 10th. I think it was for the 10th Amendment Center, um, or at least yeah. that's, that's where I found mm-hmm. it. And it mm-hmm. was just a wonderful article going through what a powerful dude this was and specifically talking about the Stamp Act um, and his role in that. Right. But, but I wanted to kind of get your flavor. I know he's one of your heroes. Um, tell us a little bit about Patrick Henry and and. and why you think he's, he's just an amazing guy, somebody we should revere today. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I personally, you know, I feel sort of a kinship with him. One of the things is that um, during his own lifetime, uh, a lot of people discounted his erudition, his intellect, because he had a country accent. Now, my living overseas for most of my life, you know, it remove my act, my native accent from me, but like my, you know, my family being from Memphis and, and they all have a strong Southern accent and growing up. And anytime you watch TV, you see if, if someone's dumb, just give them a Southern accent. And so Patrick Henry, you know, being from the backwoods, he had an accent and people would comment on it and it would, it would cause people to say, you know, oh, this guy is, in over his head being a lawyer. He's in over his head in the Virginia House of Burgesses and all of this and mock him and stuff. And he just shook it off. He basically just forged ahead. And and so that's one like personal thing. I think good he overcame that because it's still stigmatizing, which is bizarre that it's stigmatizing. But it is. If you have a Southern accent, you're you're an idiot, you know. And so I like that he was able to overcome that. Um he was one of the, I mean, the, people don't know, this was a young guy when he was, he made his bones, so to speak. He became a name that people knew because of the case known as the Parsons cause. He was 27 years old. And well, let's, let's back up before we get to part Parsons cause. I just realized, you know, I'm sitting here saying how he became, and that's what people know. Patrick Henry, even though you're right, he is unheralded for the most part, except for give me liberty or give me death, which is wonderful. But um, the thing about Patrick Henry is he failed so many times in life. You know, he he wasn't born wealthy. He he got married. He was 18. His wife was 16. Um, she had a little bit of a farm as a dowry. And he decided to, he, he went into bit when he turned, you know, 18, he goes into business with his brother, opens a, like a general store fails. He gets married, has this farm. He's like, okay, I'm gonna be a farmer. The house burned down, house burns down, fails. He decides, okay, I'm gonna try to be, uh, open a store again, opens a store again and fails. Go, you know, goes completely out of business. And time and again, this guy is failing 
at things that he puts his all into. And I think a very, not I think, a very important element of the stories of some of these most noteworthy and renowned people is the untold story of their failures. Because we see him as Patrick Henry and we think, you know, famous, founding father, probably think wealthy, but you don't think of the kid who puts everything into opening a store with his brother and can't make a dime, who puts everything into being a farmer, house burns down. I mean, can you, and even just saying it, house burns down. Okay. He's on to, dude, your house burnt down. You know, it's a big deal. And for him to be able to bounce back the resilience of this guy, if nothing else, how at 20 years old do you have, you know, the fortitude to bounce back and say, okay, I'm going to try this. And so finally, he goes to work at his father in law's tavern. I mean, he's like, I, I can't do anything right. Nothing I do is successful. So his father-in-law is like, well, I have a bar. You can come work there. And he's like, swell. So he goes to work at the bar and he quickly finds out, I, this is not the life that I want. So he's like, I'm going to, I want to become a lawyer. Well, it's different then and now, obviously, but he can't afford to hire someone or to be an apprentice to someone. He has to work all the time to support his his you know new wife and everything and and it's not like you know you don't want to look bad in front of your father in law right. so he has to take his time off and read law books Blackstone and uh, um, Cook and people like that and he has to do it on his own time and then he decides okay at twenty four years old he's like. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get my I'm gonna try to pass the bar. So back then, you would make an appointment with the state bar, right? Not bar association like now, like it's a, but you would make an appointment with people that were uh, selected to be the people who decided whether or not you could be a lawyer in that state. So as it turns out, you've got on the board sitting for Patrick Henry, you've got George With, who is probably the smartest guy in Virginia, certainly one of the most well-respected, a guy who learned English, Latin, and Greek at the same time. He, you know, he's a genius. And here Patrick Henry is like, oh boy. And, but he goes and you just stand there and they just pepper you with questions from Blackstone, from Cook, from all sorts of things like that. And he passed the bar and, you know, he says remarkably, he's like, I really don't know how, but it's because they saw in him, this guy that really had what it took. Well, he and, was, he was made to be a lawyer. I mean, and he, he was a like remarkably smart guy. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I remember there, there's, <clears throat> if I, if I remember the stories right there, you know, his mother, when he was young would take him to these um, church camps, these, these, you know, kind of uh, um, evangelical, um, uh, you know, church meetings. And, uh, and on the way back would have him recite back the, the, you know, all of the, you know, all of the, the preaching that was done for the day. And so, you know, obviously he was taught at home. He was taught well, he was taught, um, you know, properly and and he he had a fertile mind for that yeah he he went to school for a couple of years like went to a you know not like school today but school then he went to school for a couple of years but then he uh his dad homeschooled him the rest of his life i mean as far as till he became an adult um but yeah he had a remarkable mind and that's you know there was a recent biography called uh, Patrick Henry, the mind of a patriot, which even the author says, you know, I'm here to to sort of rehabilitate the idea, the the, the genius and the intellect and the erudition. He was well read. I mean, you go and look at his library, and you know, he has. 
I don't know, like, you know, founder's recipe. So like I went and I looked at his library, Patrick Henry's library. He has 11 of those guys in his library. Right. You know, and, and we're not talking like John, you know, John Locke, but we're talking, you know, Grotius, Pufendorf, Trench and Gordon, of course, you know, people like that. He, he, Devoddle, he had in his library. These are things that he read. And he was a really brilliant guy. And so then as a lawyer, man, once he found the, the, the thing that suited his talent, uh, it reminds me of William Wirt was one of his early biographers. Okay. And William Wirt is talking about how he was talking about how Patrick Henry was speaking for four hours, standing on his feet speaking for four hours without notes. And he writes in his biography, he could, talking about Patrick Henry, he could talk. God's how he could talk. You know, <laughs> because, and he could. He could just stand there. And it's one of those things, if you can't sell the steaks, sell the sizzle. And he could sell some steak and some sizzle. This guy, four hours, you know, and... And that's what he was good at. And so then you get to Parsons cause where he become, and this is the thing people don't realize, you know, if you'd ask somebody who's sort of the, and it, it it's even like, I think it's a moniker that you can look up and you would, I bet if you Googled it, you would get one answer. Like the father of the American revolution, it's Samuel Adams. Nine times out of 10, it's Samuel Adams. But this guy you know, he at the Parsons case, I don't know, I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. The Parsons. We can talk about it. Yeah. yeah I think so, it's an important case. So, well, it is Parsons cause. So basically what happened is there was an, an established church. The church of England was the official church of Virginia and the preachers would get paid in tobacco. Right. So they, you had, it was a tax you would get taxed so much, you know, so many pounds of tobacco to pay the preachers. That's what established religion means. It means the government taxes you and takes that amount of tax and pays the clergy. And so it was tobacco that they would get paid. Well, the price of tobacco, they have a drought and the price of tobacco goes crazy. And so they end up getting this two pounds, or I can't remember, I think it was two pounds. That two pounds goes from being worth, let's just say for discussion, $2 to being worth $20. And Patrick Henry, and so Virginia, the Virginia legislature says, no, we're capping the price that we pay the clergy. Well, some of the clergy get upset. They notify their colonial agent in London and the king vetoes Virginia's bill saying we're not we're capping the the amount that we're going to pay these clergymen and the king says no you're not going to do that and so one of the clergymen you know he was a baptist a baptist they were this is what people don't get. They were in Virginia, where if you go to Virginia today and throw it, now not Northern Virginia, not not Northern Virginia, but <laughs> the the real Virginia. If you the go real to the real Virginia. Virginia today and you throw a rock, you're going to hit twenty Baptists, right? Yeah, yeah. But back then, they were putting Baptists in jail for for preaching and for uh, you know just challenging the established church. So anyway, this Baptist preacher, he challenges this that you know these guys are getting money while we're growing broke because he's like i'm a preacher but i'm also a farmer this guy is nothing but a preacher and here i am going broke because of this drought but still having to pay this guy well patrick henry goes in defends the guy or you know has is the lawyer for for uh mr murray and he says he says, if the king believes that he can set aside a law made by the Virginia legislature, then he is now a tyrant. And at that moment, people in the courtroom were like, <gasps> like, you don't Including do that. Including his father. Right. His dad, the, the, other, the other attorney, they were like, treason. You know, like, 
this guy just and the other attorney says objection are you not going to censure him for treason and the judge is like overruled if i remember right wasn't the judge his father the I think judge in the parsons cause i think he was i think he was the because he was like the state you know, the, the head of the state judiciary or something it, like You that. might be right. I don't know. I'll have to look. Now that you say that, I don't remember reading. I don't remember that off the top of my head. You'd think I would, but I don't remember. But anyway, the, the point is he wasn't censured. And so he, there he was calling the king a tyrant, which at that time was really, because we're talking, this is two years before the Stamp Act speech. Right. Which is, which is 10 a years before... The give me liberty or give me death speech. Right. And so this is 12 years before the give me liberty or give me death speech. And so calling the king a tyrant was really unheard of. And so even though Samuel Adams gets rightfully gets a lot of credit, Patrick Henry was on the cutting edge of saying, there's no, we have, you, you don't have the authority to negate laws that we make for ourselves. And that propelled it because not only did, I mean, they only awarded a a minor recompense, but the point is he gained his reputation, not only as someone that was an able lawyer, but someone who was fearless. And that just propelled him to success as an attorney, but also to what they would call, you know, continental notoriety for be for being someone who's like calling the king a tyrant. Yeah, I, I think it's it's. Um, I don't want to compare the two intellectually or, or anything like that, but just as like a a visionary, somebody who could who can like say something, and have it come to pass in the future. I mean, he's a kind of like, almost like a uh, Alex Jones figure from a standpoint of like, man, he you could see. That like he he saw that this one little thing would lead down the road. Like that, there's the slippery slope. This is going to lead to tyranny. And the fact that he's willing to do this, it means he's he's willing to step over the line on anything. Yeah, and you know that's the thing about Patrick Henry. He didn't have the education that Thomas Jefferson or James Madison had. He he, he didn't have that edge. He didn't go to college. He didn't go to law school. He didn't do any of that. But he, you know, he made that famous statement in the, you know, in the give me liberty, or give me death when he says, you know, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided. And that's the, the lamp of, of experience. And he's saying my study of history reveals to me that. And so when you get to the Virginia ratifying convention in 1788, I, anybody who hasn't read that, you just don't get it. Because you have a real clash of the titans. You have Patrick Henry versus James Madison. Now, I'm going to give the intellectual edge to Madison, but I'm going to give the rhetorical edge, the oratorical edge to Henry. But here are these two guys, Patrick Henry saying this constitution is a tyranny and embryo. It's going to swallow up the liberty of the state. It's going to touch everything dear to human existence. And you've got James Madison saying, you're loco. There's none of this. It's, it's, a, it's a limited government, on and on. But the point is... Who is the have, prophet? <laughs> yeah, you have these two. Well, you know, James Madison's problem would be a good problem to have. But James Madison's yeah. thing is he really did believe that the rest of us were like him. And that's just not true. But... <laughs> right. uh, but Virginia, there would be, it's one of those things, you know, alternative history, because the vote, there were 10 votes separating, it was 89 to 79 in favor of ratifying the Constitution, but only because Madison was able to convince some of the people there, okay, fine, we will, we, we will have a bill of rights. We will in the first con if you if you ratify and join the union during the first Congress, I will introduce a bill of rights. When he promised that the power, and that's the thing, 
the power of Madison's virtue is what ended up swaying Virginia in favor of the Constitution because rhetorically, if you read them, and you can read them free online, like all of this stuff, if you read Patrick Henry, it's like, whoa, this dude was nailing it, you know? But And Madison was saying what he knew to be true because he was sitting in the room. But if you're looking at prophetically who had the, the most foresight, it doesn't, Patrick Henry was nailing it. And had it not been for the fact that James Madison was so trustworthy, so respected that his word was, if he said, I'm going to do this, he's going to do it. Even in letters, you know, Madison would say, I don't want to do this, but I have to because I told him I would. But anyway, Patrick Henry and he and James Madison, that just started a long history of uh, fighting between the yeah. two of them. Wow. Well, I, I don't want to jump over, though, the, the Stamp Act. Oh, no, I, no, no. Man, that thing is so dang powerful. And, and um, I, what I didn't realize until I, I did a little research is, is how um, <clears throat> that Patrick Henry was the one that wrote the, um, the Stamp Act revisions. Like He was the one that, that, that made these proposals that yeah. basically said, this is BS. You know, there's there's no way. And, and each one got, got harsher and harsher. Um, talk a little bit about the Stamp Act. And, and it's I mean, I, I think we learn it kind of in school like, oh, yeah, the, the British were, mm -hmm. you know, putting a stamp on all on all uh, official documents or, you know, anything that they could to tax it and, and get money and, and to, to basically to try to get money back from the French Indian War. But But can you talk about what how the Americans, because that's the part I don't think we ever get, is how the Americans felt about the Stamp Act. Well, it was roundly rejected by the colonists because it represented an attempt to raise revenue using taxation, where taxation, since the days of Alfred the Great, was used only in times of war when the the realm was being threatened. The king would be authorized to tax his subjects to protect them, which makes sense. And they would do it voluntarily. Right. Because, yes, we need to be there protected. There was a threat. <laughs> right. Well, the stamp, so the, the hubris of England wanting to just continually humiliate its arch enemy France and they run up a debt. You know, they double their national debt in an effort to perpetuate this war against France. And then they say, well, why don't we, you know, we've got a cash cow over in America. And they start, they, one of the things they pass is this Stamp Act. And if you read the, the, the parliamentary record of it, so many parliamentarians, members of parliament were like, no. No, this is not right, and it's not going to work. And you have someone like Isaac Barry, which is a name nobody knows, and every American should know the name Isaac Barry. Here he was, a member of parliament in England, saying, this is tyrannical, this will never work, this is unconstitutional, it violates Magna Carta, and he goes on and on, Isaac Barry does. And anyway, so the Americans roundly hated it. But something that people don't realize, Mike, is that we live the Stamp Act today because basically what the Stamp Act was, it wasn't, I think people get it in their head that it meant that you got a little stamp like on stuff that you bought and that's not what it was. It was you got a little stamp, like think of a postage stamp. You, got, you would go and you would get a little stamp and that would prove that you bought whatever it is you bought, you bought it from an approved vendor, you bought it with the approved currency, and you had um, you had a stamp to prove that you did. So we call it a receipt, but honestly, it's the Stamp Act because you buy from a business who has a business license given from the king. You use the the dollars 
approved by the king, and you get a little piece of paper saying that you complied with the law. That you can you could submit in your taxes to the Precisely. king's tax, you know. Collector. And we lived. That's no more or less than the Stamp Act. And what and what's it for to raise revenue? But nobody cares, right? It's a historical thing we talk about, and we I and that's the thing you know. School is good at isolate this, so no one thinks ridicule it, so no one thinks that. Hey, wait a minute, right? Because I'm not. I can't go out here in the front of. I mean in the front of my house and I can't start selling things without the police showing up. Where's your license to sell? I don't have one. Then you're shut down because of the stamp act that we live under. But anyway, Patrick, that's a beautiful point that thank you for bringing that forward, man. Well, yeah, but it's true and nobody recognizes it. But anyway, so Patrick Henry, yeah, he um, writes what are end up being called the Stamp Act Resolves or the Virginia Resolves. He writes seven of them, and five of them get approved by the House of Burgesses. Uh, and then he goes home. He's pretty happy. He's riding how he gets on his horse. He's right. He's leaving Williamsburg. They voted, and fa- he's very happy that five of the seven got put through. He goes home, comes back, and finds out that. While he was gone, they rescinded the fifth one, which the fifth one was the most powerful one. The fifth resolve that ended up not getting approved or, well, getting approved and then rescinded said um, that only Virginia can make laws, can tax Virginians, that no tax imposed by anybody whatsoever except the Virginia legislature was valid. Right. And so that they were like really afraid that that's going too far because that might invoke the ire. But the fact is, you you could tell the tone, man, because Patrick Henry in that stamp back speech, you know, he's just going off. And they said you could hear him. It started a thunderstorm and you could hear him over the thunder. And you can go to that church, St. John's Church, where he delivered it. And he's sitting here just going off. And he um, he says, uh, see, you know. I think Caesar, I have that quote. He says, um, Tarquin had his Brutus. Yeah. See, uh, Tarquin had his Brutus. Uh, Charles I had his Cromwell. And George Third had better learn from their example. And basically, everybody starts calling treason, like literally just screaming out treason. Because basically what he was saying is, if George III wants to act like a tyrant, we'll treat him like a tyrant and kill him. Right. Because that's what happened to Tarquin. Well, Tarquin didn't get killed, but that's what happened. Well, Caesar ultimately also had Brutus, <laughs> Julius Caesar. So you had, and the idea being, Charles I was beheaded, you know, Julius Caesar was stabbed, Tarquin was run out of town, and George III, the same will happen to you, but he was interrupted, and finally he just said, had better learn from their, from their example. And dude, that just, you can tell the tone because everybody in there is like, oh, no, he didn't. Right. Because he's well, basically saying, we will treat you like a tyrant if you're going to act like one. And then my favorite line from that is when he says, if this be treason, make the most of it. Yeah, if the, yeah, because they start screaming treason. And he's like, well, right. if this is treason, make the most of it. Here Let's I am. <laughs> Come get me. You know, and that, again, that propelled him to, because the Virginia Resolves got passed around the colonies. And they were like, whoa, Patrick Henry, dude. And so you've got people like the Sons of Liberty up north. Uh, you've and, and then all over Sons of Liberty chapters, you know, form all over the colonies, and you've got them saying, "Well, this is this dude is definitely the front line of our the 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 armed resistance to tyranny, the movement that was growing to have to to expect armed resistance, right? To expect there to be some need of." a militia response to a British force being sent over to enforce the law. Yeah, that, 
that's powerful stuff, man. I mean, I mean, and again, this is 10 full years before, um, you know, the declaration. Um, this is like, obviously things are heating up, but this is still like, this is, this is a guy who can see the writing on the walls. Yeah. This is 10 years before the shot heard around the world, 10 years before Lexington and Concord. And he's just like, you know, you're going to act like a, there's a thing, man. We just need Patrick Henry's today because it's one of those things. If this be treason, make the most of it. Nobody has, I mean, even you look at everybody in Congress and everybody, even the most, you know, liberty loving guys, when there comes a point and they're like backing off a notch, you know, and uh, we need, we need Patrick Henry. We need to, and I don't think in Congress we need him because Patrick Henry, he did actually serve in the Continental Congress, both Continental Congresses, in fact, the first and the second Continental Congress. And, you know, a thing about Patrick Henry, also not known is Patrick Henry went back to Virginia and he, he formed his own militia. Right. Because, of course, that was perfectly legal. And not only legal, it was expected. It was, yeah. And so he just went back home and he's like, okay, let's get a bunch of guys. Let's form a militia. And actually they, you know, Virginia chose Patrick Henry to be the commander in chief of all the militias of Virginia. And, you know, maybe not the best choice because he wasn't a soldier. Right. That wasn't his calling. That wasn't his. Yeah, that was not the reason God put him on the earth to be a soldier. And and they ended up recognizing that. And it ended up being where I think one of the most important moments of his life, honestly. I mean, everybody knows the big ones. But the moment when the Virginia legislature says to Patrick Henry, we're relieving you of your command. We're placing you subordinate. We're making you a colonel and we're making you subordinate to some of the guys who were your subordinates. And Patrick Henry's militia, the guys that he had gathered to form militia, they said, well, then we're leaving. If you're doing this to our guy, we're gone. Good luck without us. And Patrick Henry addressed them and said, this is bigger than me. You guys submit Submit to this because this is bigger than my than me than my reputation. Please submit to this new organization, and they do. And so I think that's one of the biggest. You know, that's a humility that we don't see in politicians. Yeah, and him to say this is bigger than me. I don't care that I'm colonel instead of general or whatever. He's like, y'all stay with the militia and keep doing what we're doing. And that's a a very, a signal moment in the life of a man who had many signal moments. Yeah, for sure. And it is interesting. Like it does make you think about the crop of people that were in Virginia at that time. Cause you can make the case like that humility was in George Washington you know, that humility, maybe not as much, but, but a certain amount, certainly in, in Thomas Jefferson, um, he always came across to me as a little bit of a hoity toity Jefferson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Jefferson. Yeah. I don't know if I, humility, I don't know if that's a word I would just stick with. <laughs> okay. But that's fine. I mean, the guy had the, you know, he had the, he had the, he, had, he could back up what he claimed, you know, right. it's, I always tell people, if you want to know the difference between Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, Look at their graves. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote out in his will exactly what his grave, you know, his monument headstone should look like, and you can go see it today. It's a list of all his accomplishments. Whereas if you go over and you look at James Madison's grave, it's literally a, like about a four-foot headstone that says Madison. That's literally it. Why? Wow. That's all you need to know about those two guys, <laughs> right? And James Madison you know, they were begging him to write an autobiography and he writes, well, I think it was 18 pages. He's like, ah, that's all I can think that I've done. <laughs> that's all I've done. Yeah. That's about <laughs> it. But yeah, but there was that crop of people. I mean, George with yeah. St. George Tucker, John, uh, John Taylor of Caroline. Um, 
yeah, just so many, uh, uh, just that crop of James Monroe, that crop of guys in Virginia that really just, whew, they were, they were all sent in the same generation for obvious reason. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of those things. It's like, that's no coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's let's move because in my mind I kind of think of, and I know there's a lot of preparatory stuff, but when I'm in my mind when I think of Patrick Henry, I think of kind of the three biggies, which is the the Stamp Act, the Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, and then his um, arguments against the Constitution as right. kind of like the big mm-hmm. kind of philosophical right. ideas that, that he brings to the table. Right. So let's, let's move ahead a little bit and talk a little bit about the the Revolution and his role. Um, because he was like, he was the guy, he was the Winston Churchill of like riling people up and, and, you know, this is an important thing. And, and, um, but, but that, that famous speech to give me liberty, give me death speech, talk a little bit about going up to that and, and that speech specifically. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the speech given after the shot heard around the world. So you have, you know, it's, uh, shot around the world was April and, 19th and um patrick henry there were you know virginia all of the colonies were like okay what does this mean for us if we've got the british army shooting citizens of massachusetts if we've got the british army shutting down the legislature of massachusetts seizing the weapons from what does this mean for all of us? And so you, you, you had these different factions, and, and and don't get the idea of political parties that did not exist, but you had these sort of moving factions of people who were at different levels of how do we respond right. to this? These when, Englishmen, as right? Englishmen, right? And but you know, as Virginia is not exactly next door to Massachusetts, yeah. And so they're like, how do we respond? And so you had a lot of people saying, just calm down. It's an isolated case. This happened. This happened. It's isolated. Let's just send a petition. Let's tell the king and parliament we're not happy about this and, and everything. And Patrick Henry just got up and said, this is ridiculous. He's like, you, you call for peace, but there, the war already started. He's like, that's great that you're saying let's have peace, but it's too late because there are dead people in Massachusetts today. There are British regulars who have killed Massachusetts men, as he called them. They're dead because they were shot by the British army. So there's no such thing as as peace anymore with regard to this. And he's like, if you're so interested in peace, why do you send warships? Send ambassadors, don't send soldiers. And he said, the fact is, this gale, this wind is blowing across the colonies. And they, what happens in Massachusetts will happen here. We need to prepare for it. We need to get our militia squared away, ready to go, because it is this gale of despotism that's blowing across. And England has demonstrated that even the king has no desire to treat us as Englishmen, to treat us constitutionally, right? Because you had the Magna Carta, you had the Petition of Rights, you had the Bill of Rights, all part of the English Constitution. And he's like, he has violated all that, Parliament has, so we need to be ready. And he's like, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, and he, it's the famous, you know, climax of the speech. You know, I don't know what path others will take, but as for, you know, me, and obviously quoting from uh, what was Joshua, right? Uh, if the Lord be God, then worship him. And I know not what course, other, but give, you know, if the Lord be God, worship me. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he quotes that essentially saying, as, you know, but for me, Give me liberty or give me death. And just powerful. And that was his, you know, 
The thing about Patrick Henry is he wasn't doing any of this for show. This is who he was. That is why his genuine passion is what made him who he is. He wasn't doing it for ratings, for likes, for clicks, for votes. He simply meant what he said and was persuasive in his ability to just extemporaneously explain and encapsulate history and its effect on our day, on his own day. And of course, the same thing when he says, give me the, you know, people are shouting, that's treason. You know, you're, you're saying that the king is taking our liberty. And he's like, but he is right right now. You know, he's forging chains right now. You can hear the clanging of him forging the chains for you. But here you are meekly saying, well, let's, let's just calm down. Let's send a, a tersely worded letter. <laughs> right? Sanction him. Yeah. And so it's like, it's the equivalent of today. Well, well, you know, let's, let's make a video and put it on Facebook and TikTok and everything. Let's make a video telling everyone how tyrannical this or that is. But show me the member of Congress that gets up and says, yeah, this is all tyrannical. None of this is constitutional. We're to, you know, calling a spade a spade. You just don't have it. And people say, oh, it's so different. It's because today they can arrest you. That They arrested people back then. I mean, anybody who thinks that there's any difference in the, the regime's response now and then, go and read of the, the prison ships that they would put any captured American on a British prison ship for months and months with the idea being, oh, we're going to take them to England to try them. No, that was simply torture. Torture. Right? And naked, chained to a wall, no bathroom, no, no, they would throw food down the hatch at you, stuff like that. That stuff happened back then, but back then they were like, yeah, so they, they treated the Savior like this. How, why am I better than he is? But today we're like, um, no, if you go to jail, then you can't get a job later. What good have you done? You know, stuff like that. Seriously. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that's a, I mean, there's a, you make a lot of good points, but I, I one thing I want to just emphasize a little bit is, is, um, you know, it could have gone a lot of different ways. I mean, you could you could come up with a, a reasonable you know counter history where you know the maybe this maybe the South divided at that time and and you know uh, create some treaty with England or, or, or supports England in some way and because you're right they, these were not like a, a unibody of, of 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 it wasn't one nation you know the, yeah. an attack against Massachusetts did not mean an attack against Virginia right. and so. You can make that, but I think it took a foresight of, of, you know, somebody like Patrick Henry to say, wait a sec, a snake's a snake. This guy, he's going to do to us what, what, you know, what he did to them, just like what you said. And, and we need to support this cause, you know, because it will happen to us. It will, it will come to us. Yeah. I mean, it's much like I remember after 9-11 and... I would say to people, I'm like, great. First of all, we don't know what happened, but let's put that aside. Let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that the official story is true, which obviously it is not, but let's pretend it is. Well, all this invective against Muslims is going to be turned on Christians. You will see the day come that Christianity will be you know, reading the Bible at home will be a reason for a CPS visit. And don't say you weren't warned when, you know, as the world becomes more secular and more wicked and more just completely irrational, 
prepare for, you know, prepare for whatever you sanction against some other religion will come back and be used against you when it is politically convenient. Right. And it will someday be politically convenient to harass and oppress Christians. And it's like, you need to stand today and realize that. And so Patrick Henry was like, many of you are liking, like to say, well, it's so far away. That's never coming here. We can avoid that. In fact, you know, we can draw a line and say, hey, we didn't, you know, we're not shooting at soldiers and we're not, you know, throwing tea in the harbor and we're not doing this, that, and the other. And Patrick Henry's like, they don't care. Right. At the end of the day, it isn't about the tea in the harbor. It's, it's about there is money there. We, the, they, they came to believe the king and parliament, or not all of parliament, but most of it came to believe as our colony, they owe us money for protecting them, which is not true. America, Americans fought in what we call the French and Indian War. Americans fought in that. What are you just going to sit there and be like, I don't know what's going Of course, you're going to join your town's militia and That's you're right. an Englishman and you're going to fight as an Englishman. Uh, and so, I mean, George Washington, that's the thing. Because you're a, fighting for your, t- you're not, I mean, you're not necessarily, you're fighting quote for the crown, but it's really, you're fighting for your village. You're fighting yeah, for your town. Exactly. You're fighting, you're fighting for, for, your, for family. your family. Exactly. <laughs> and so that, but that was the, that was a good narrative, a good little tale to spin to convince people. Yeah, they do owe us money and there's no sense of these colonists getting wealthy when we have a huge debt to pay and this debt we have to pay is because of protecting them. Right. And just like today, there are going to be people who don't bother really investigating, really kind of researching and learning. And they'll say, well, he does have a point. Right. You know, we, we did get protected. There were British soldiers over here. Well, yeah. But anyway, and so, he saw that it was about more than a reaction to what a few guys in Boston, because if you read the thing, that's what they were saying. Well, a few guys in Boston, uh, you know, make trouble. That has nothing to do with us in Richmond or Williamsburg. Who cares? But it also takes like so much wisdom because to use another example today, you know, there could be some that could use that um, same I guess, argument and say, well, look what Russia is doing to Ukraine. He, they could do the same thing to us. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of wisdom to see through that argument. But I think like it does take wisdom for Patrick Henry to say, wait a sec, this is different than, you know, um, uh, than the English attacking French directly, for example, or for the for the English attacking Spain or, or something like that. Like this is different. This is this is actually affecting our homeland, and, and we need to understand and have the wisdom to know the difference between you know when we should sue for peace and when we need to start turning our you know plowshares into swords. Yeah, and I mean something little known to people that haven't really read the there are, there are several good biographies of Patrick Henry, but Patrick Henry opposed declaring independence at first. Because in his mind, he said, "We okay, we're going to get walloped. We're, he's like, we're not prepared for that yet. We need to prepare for this, right? But once it came time to, for the, you know, the, the Virginia to send its instructions to the Second Continental Congress, he was all on board. But when it first started being mentioned, he was like, I don't think we're ready for that kind of step. You know, yes, we need to have armed resistance, but to declare war in that sense, to declare independence, we need to be prepared for that. But then once once it got to that point, he supported, obviously supported independence and, um, you know, became, he was, well, he was governor of Virginia. And, uh, you know, he, but that's the thing. He was a very, 
savvy person, but but he was he. I just love that he. What what did uh, Lord Byron? Which is this is see people don't understand. Patrick Henry, Lord Byron calls him the forest-born Demosthenes. Like Lord Byron talks about Patrick Henry calling him the forest-born Demosthenes. But now that will mean nothing to nobody today because nobody knows who Demosthenes is. And so it's like, I don't, you know, that doesn't mean anything. But to someone who knows who Demosthenes is, that's such a huge that's that's huge praise. That's adoration, man. Yeah. And that's who he was. He was a speaker that understood history, that could explain the application of it and could get people fired up. Oh, he moved people. Like oh, yeah. I, the, the stories they talked about were, you know, after that particular speech, he was walking out and people were just wanting to get near him and touch him just as like say, I'm we're with you. Let's do this thing. And he, what does he immediately do? He goes and he, he rounds up his militia and says, okay, we got to prepare. Let's, let's get going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He, he was a guy who put his money where his mouth is every time that it came down to protecting liberty. And, I mean, and he really did place his, you know, he put his head in a noose yeah. knowing, you know, after the, after the, uh, the King's, uh, rebellion, you know, after the King's act of rebellion, you know, saying that proclamation of rebellion, saying that anybody who does anything even close to talking about re- armed resistance to the crown will be treated as a military uh, prison, will be treated as a, you know, as a, uh, what do you call it? Like an enemy combatant right. and hanged by the neck until dead, if caught. So all of those guys put their heads in a noose, right? Yeah. Every one of them. Oh, and what a, what a coup that would have been for the king to get Patrick Henry. Because like I said, he was the Winston Churchill. He was the guy that was like, you know, that, I, again, to go back to that speech, you know, it, 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 it like ran through all the colonies like wildfire. Mm-hmm. It was like John Locke's, you know, um, uh, What's, his, what's the name of the pamphlet? <laughs> Essay um, on Human Understanding? The, Are you talking uh, about two treatises oh, on I, civil government? And, anyway, it, it doesn't matter. My anyway. point is it, it went through like wildfire. Oh, you mean Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine. See? Yeah, yeah. Musician brain. Okay. Yeah, I got, no, I got you. Yeah, Thomas Paine. Yeah, exactly. But but it, but that was like that's what happened. It just it just flew and it and it was able to convince so many people, enough people. Let's just say that enough people enough, to say, yeah. yeah, we need to do this thing, you know. Yeah, and that um, that's what we need. We need people to recognize their role, and then to do that thing and do it consistently. You know, we need the. We need people. We we we've got the situation now where we everybody wants to be a general, and the suggestion that maybe you be a colonel instead of general that just gets people upset today. That's that so hurts awful. feelings, and that's I don't want to be subordinate to this guy, you know. So in so many ways, we need Patrick Henry today. Yeah. You know, yeah, in so many your, ways. What your call is, 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 you know, not necessarily to be the general and maybe not even to be the, the colonel, but it's to be, you know, the guy that, that's going to bring the troops in. But, um, spoiler alert, the, the colonialists win. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> they win. And I want to jump ahead to, again, I think maybe, you know, if we're going to call, if I'm going to call Patrick Henry one of the most unheralded founding fathers. This is, I think the most unheralded aspect of his um, just tremendous life. And that is his resistance both to the constitution um, and to um, both b- before and after it was ratified. Like he, it, and you, you, you mentioned about it before, but what, what were maybe um, first of all, from my understanding, he was invited to the, the continental Congress in order mm-hmm. to, and he and he just said, you know, I smell a snake. <laughs> you know, this is this yeah. Is he said, I smell a rat. He he. Yeah. Um, well, he the official uh, letter that he wrote uh, to the council said 
that he couldn't afford to go financially. He, but the, yeah, the, the truth is he would write and say, I, I smelled a rat at that convention. I, there was, he's like, I know that there are people there that their goal is to create a consolidated central government. And he's like, we, we can get what we need to have done through amending the articles of confederation. We don't need any, he's like, but I know there are people who are going there particularly for the purpose of establishing a, an entirely new government. So what, what were, what were, what were the things that needed to be um, changed in the articles of confederation? And then clearly that didn't happen, but, but like, what was the purpose of that continental Congress officially? Oh, of the convention, the, of the convention, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, of, well, officially, so the Congress, so Alexander Hamilton, shocker, makes a motion in Congress, in the Continental Congress. He makes a motion in the Confederation Congress, sorry. He makes a motion to say, we need to have a convention, a, a plenipotentiary, meaning all the power in this convention to fix the, pro- the defects in the Articles of Confederation or the Constitution, as they called it because it was the constitution. And so he makes a motion. It ends up passing and Congress says, okay, you know, in May, and that was February of 87, 1787. So they say in May, we invite all the states to send delegates to Philadelphia for the sole and express purpose of recommending revision to the Articles of Confederation. And then those recommendations will go to Congress and will go to the state governments. And if unanimously approved, they will become part of the Constitution, the Articles of Confederation. That was their only, so they could, they could propose amendments to the Articles of Confederation. That was it. Sole and express authority. But that was gone day one. And so it ended up, they threw out the Articles of Confederation and created an entirely new government, exactly the way Patrick Henry warned, with a much stronger, what they called general, what we would call federal government. And... And he's right. You read the cons. There are very vague terms in there that we still argue about because they're so vague. Right. And of course, and, when there where there's vagueness, tyranny can just slip right in. Right. And even, but you know, Alexander Hamilton himself says that. What is it? Federalist uh, 82, 74. One of the ones he's like, these, uh, you're going to give these people excuses if you offer a bill of rights, he says, if you amend the, you'll have them amended out of existence because they will find excuses to take power where none was given. And that's essentially, but that also happened with the constitution before it was amended. And Patrick Henry says, I mean, you got, if, if your listeners, viewers, if if you guys want to have, just one of those things this July 4th, beyond actually reading the Declaration of Independence, read the speeches given, you know, it was in June of 1788. Read the speeches of Patrick Henry, George Mason, Edmund Randolph, James Madison, Richard Henry Lee. Read their speeches because. Man, Patrick Henry, one of his, when he gets up, one of the first things he says is, who gave them the authority to write we the people? They had no authority to say the people do anything. He said these were state delegates. The states created this union. Who gave them? He's like, so from the judge, he's like, he's like, literally the first three words of this demonstrate the ultimate aim of its advocates, 
which is to obliterate state sovereignty, create a consolidated nation, right? And it just gets better from there. And then, of course, James Madison steps up and says, my honorable friend is, you know, talking about things that are never going to happen. <laughs> but happened within 10 years. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, easily. Yeah. The Alien and Sedition Act. Even. Right. <laughs> the Whiskey Rebellion. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, the Whiskey Rebellion. We're talking George Washington, you know, and we had blown through the Constitution. Yep. Yep. I mean, it just absolutely. Any of those, any, it just, just like Patrick Henry saying, wait a sec, um, if the, if the king has the right to lower what Virginia deems necessary to pay preachers, you know, that's going to lead to tyranny. He was the same guy, you know, 20, what, uh, 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Saying, listen, if, if you can't, if you can't see that this one statement, its ultimate goal is, is to create a consolidate, you know, to take away state rights. Once again, that, that they will do it. He's exactly right. I mean, that guy, he understood how that works. Yeah, I uh, I recently wrote an article called Clash of the Titans talking about, and I give selections from the speeches given by Patrick Henry and James Madison, kind of, you know, the responses to each other. But yeah, it was, it was Clash of the Titans. And it, the you read the things that Patrick Henry said, and you're like, I don't uh, how, you know, but he tells you, you know, how is he so prophetic? He studied history. He says, I just look at the past. And if the same thing happens now that happened then, the same misfortunes will follow the same poor decisions. Absolutely. And that's what we have today. And so he, I, he's just a, uh, an amazing guy with doesn't get the credit he deserves. He, I mean, yeah really kind of placed on the JV squad. Yeah. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for the pithy, you know, give me liberty or give me death. I think he might be a name as forgotten as St. George Tucker or, or, you know, John Taylor of Caroline. He might be as forgotten as those guys, which would be an absolute shame. And it's a shame that we don't know those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to finish up with your thoughts. Apparently after his death, they found some writings that he had. And um, within it, he talks a little bit about um, the Stamp Act and what it led to and that, you know, led to, um, uh, you know, the, the, its independence. Um, and then he finishes with this little line. And it, I love it so much because it's something that you and I talk about both privately mm -hmm. um, and on the show um, and within the, the great book club that you've organized for uh, – for meditations, anybody interested, hit us up. Like it's it, this book club is amazing and will change your life. So good. Yeah, it is so good. But um, this is what he wrote. He said, whether this being the independence of the nation will prove a blessing or a curse will depend upon the use our people make of the blessing, which a gracious God had bestowed upon us. If they are wise, they will be great and happy. If they are a contrary, uh, if they are of a contrary character, they will be miserable. Righteousness alone can exalt them as a nation. Reader, whoever thou art, remember this: that in thy sphere practice virtue thyself, and encourage others, and encourage it in others. Yeah, I mean, he left that as his, literally, his final message to the world. What else, that, what else do you need to know? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that is a message for today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in thy, I mean, even things like in thy sphere, right? In thy sphere, whatever you're, whatever you're called to do, whatever your position, you can be an example, no matter who you are, where you are, in thy sphere, you can be an example like we talked about yesterday in book club, there's no excuse regardless of everything for you not to choose virtue. You are completely blameworthy when it comes to whether or not you're a virtuous person. 
And that, you know, Patrick Henry's literally his last plea, you know, is basically we will not be free unless we are righteous. You are listening to And If Love Remains. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization to God.